God bless you. Take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. And right when you get comfortable, I'm going to ask you to stand. (laughs) We're going to read the first 14 verses of Matthew chapter 24. So when you find your place, if you'd stand with us, if you would, please, for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 24. As we take a look at what happens next. What happens next? Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. The Bible reads this way. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives... The disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to look into your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do in the hearts and the lives of these, your people. I thank you for the service to this point. I thank you for the the worship and music. And now, Father, as we worship you through the preaching of your word, I pray that you would make us more like your son. I pray that we would seek after you. I pray, Father, that we would not just seek after principles from the word of God, but that we would seek after a person that is revealed in your word. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've extended to us. And I do pray as we take a look over these next few weeks about growing in our faith, I pray that you would help us to hold on to the fact that we do not live by reason We live by revelation. Help us to remember that throughout our week, this coming week. Help us to hold on to that when reality or reason seems like it's overtaking your word. Help us to hold on to your word. Help us to not waver. Help us to not doubt. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I 
I'm sure that mostly everybody in here has a favorite drama that's on TV. I'm, I, I, you, you probably have one of those, right? You probably have a favorite TV drama that you watch. You know, I'm not going to ask you what it is. <laughs> it's funny because uh, the reason I'm laughing a little bit is because we we're actually talking about that in the singer's practice earlier this morning, talking about TVs and what people watch and what they don't watch and stuff like that. But I had already had this written out uh, uh, days before because thinking about this message entitled, what is next? You know, what happens next? And so if you have a favorite TV drama show, if you, have you ever noticed what they do to keep you watching? Uh, they, they, what do they do? They, they give you cliffhangers, don't they? They leave you with the anticipation of wanting to know what's going to happen next. I mean, is she going to get back with him or is he going to break up with her? Is they going to, oh no, is their kid going to move away? Or I, I mean, I don't know what it is, but except for Hallmark, you already know. I mean, in Hallmark, you already know. You know, it's just, you don't have to worry about that. I mean... I've watched a couple of those with my wife and she loves them. And I'm thinking, why? You already know how it's going to end. But other than that, they, they, they leave cliffhangers. What, what, what's going to happen next? And there'll be some, like myself, I always try and figure it out. If we're watching some type of mystery, my wife, within the first five minutes, she goes, okay, who did it? And I'm usually like, this person did it, this is why, blah, blah, blah. You know, some people try and figure it out. They, they, they will try and figure, use some basic reasoning or some logic, uh, logic skills to figure out what the next big event's going to be in the series. And I think that's natural for all of us to want to know what's going to happen next. Somebody was teasing with me this morning. I said, hey, uh, uh, we've switched up the um, order of service. And by the way, we're going to be doing the offering at the end of the service. <gasps> I know that's a big deal to some of you, but um, that way you get to, if it's a good sermon, you get to put in a lot. If it's not, you don't put, no, I'm just kidding. Come on, folks, lighten up a little bit. I mean, help me. But I was, somebody, I, we were talking about, I said, I was telling some of the folks, hey, we're moving that to the end of the service, that some folks needed to know that. And uh, he said, yeah. I said, man, every time I come in, something's changing. They said, I'm leaving the church. I said, that makes two of us. <laughs> man, it is rough in here this morning. Come on. <laughs> I, <laughs> Am I that bad? All of us want to know what's going to happen next, all right? We'll just go with that. Maybe I just ought to stick to the script. But I do think it's natural for all of us to want to know what's going to happen next. And that person was teasing me saying, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen next. So, but I think we all do want to know what's going to happen next in this life. And in this portion of scripture, the, the, the disciples are put into a tailspin because they were living by reason. If you study this portion out, it's the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is talking about what's going to happen next because the disciples were put into a tailspin because of chapter 23 
of what Jesus, Jesus said. And see, I think the reason that they and us, that, that all of us, we want to know what's going to happen next is because it gives us a sense of control, doesn't it? It gives us a sense of confidence. It gives us a sense of stability. When you don't know what's going to happen next, you, I mean, it's like you're stepping out there in faith and whoa. And the disciples were put into a tailspin because they were living by reason. And so many times, I think in our own lives, we're put into a tailspin because we live by reason instead of the revelation of God's word. See, the Bible tells us, it, it plainly tells us that this book was written so that we would know how to live. It was written as, and people are used in here as examples, and we're to learn from their examples. The problem is, you know what, most of us are all like, we don't learn from examples. We have gone to the school of hard knocks. But God gives us his word so that we can learn by examples so we don't have to go to the school of hard knocks. Sometimes I've lived by other people's examples and it's helped me. And that other times I've lived and I've gone to the school of hard knocks. And I tell you what, going to the school of hard knocks, it does teach you some lessons and lessons that you'll never forget, but you also leave with regrets. And for us this morning, we've got to learn to not live by our reason, but live by the revelation of the word of God so that that way we don't live a life of regret, but we live a life of rejoicing. Amen. One of the overarching lessons that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here is that you do, that we are supposed to live by revelation how does Jesus teach us to live by revelation? You ever think about that? You know, one of the ways that Jesus teaches us to live by his word, to have faith in his word, is he shatters our expectations. When expectations are shattered, people pay attention. And that's exactly what happened to the disciples. Their expectations were shattered. They had them blown away. It was interesting here as we read the, the first part of uh, Matthew chapter 24. The disciples were taking Jesus to show Jesus the beauty of the temple. Jesus knew the temple as well as they did. Why would they be taking Jesus to show him the beauty of the temple? It was actually ordained by God. And what happened is then, then, then Jesus says something to them that starts to shatter their expectations. I want you to take a look at Matthew chapter 23 and verse 38. Oh, take a look at verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, but she would not. Now take a look at verse 38. Jesus is speaking when he says house here. He's speaking about the temple. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. They were blown away by that statement. Why? Because the Jews thought that the temple was the very dwelling place of God. It was the center of their society. And you know what Jesus is basically saying? Hey, God's not there. 
He's left. It's left desolate. Because Jesus was trying to move the, the people of Israel from a religion into a relationship. They were steeped in their rituals. They were living by reason instead of by the revelation of God. And Jesus says, your temple that you think is so great, the place where you think that God resides, is left desolate to you. And the disciples, you, you, you can almost hear their minds go. But to make matters worse, Jesus takes them to the temple. Take a look at verse 2 of chapter 24. They're outside of the temple now. The, Jew, the, the disciples wanted to show Jesus the temple. And Jesus says in verse 2, And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now their whole world has been thrown into a tailspin. He said, not only is the temple left desolate, but your temple's going to be destroyed. It didn't seem to reason with the disciples. Because the Jews at that time were underneath Roman control. And if you understand anything about the Roman government and about the Roman people, they loved temples. Just take a look at their architecture. They loved temples. And so the disciples are thinking, that's impossible. That's, that's not going to happen. You've got to be kidding me. Jesus said it's going to be desolate and destroyed. But the fulfillment came to pass in 70 AD, six years after the temple was complete. Roman soldiers destroyed the temple, not leaving one stone upon another. What they would do is the temple got lit on fire. And what would happen was because the temple was covered in gold, the gold would, would melt down into the cracks of the rocks uh, between the two rocks and the stones. And what they did was they took, uh, they took uh, um, uh, items or tools or whatever to be able to pry the rocks apart so they could scrape the gold. And not one stone was left upon another. See, the disciples were living by reason and not by revelation. And it rocked their world. Has your world ever been shaken? You ever been shaken to your core? You ever think that you had your life all planned out and this is the way it was going to go and isn't it amazing that all the plans that we had when we were 15, 16, 17, 20, 22, whatever, and you look back and you're like, my life isn't anything like I thought it would be. It doesn't mean that it's turned out bad, but I'm just saying, we live by reason many times instead of the revelation of God's word. See, when you live by revelation, you say, Pastor, well, why should I live by the word of God? Well, when you live by revelation, you know what it does? It brings you stability. It brings you confidence. See, even though you're living by faith, you may not know 
what the future holds. But when you live by faith, you know who holds the future. And it brings stability. It brings confidence. Because you're not living by what you think. Because have you ever noticed? Thoughts change. Things change. But the word of God never does. Jesus is always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And that brings confidence. Disciples here, their lives were turned upside down. But how can we have confidence and stability in a world that's totally unstable? I'm going to give to you, I have four benefits of living by faith, living by revelation. From this portion of scripture, I've got four benefits by doing this. I don't know how many we're going to get to this morning, and I'm not really going to worry about that. Um, but if, you, if we don't finish it this morning, we'll finish it tonight. And I'd encourage you to be back this evening. How can we have a stable life in an unstable world? Let's take a look. The four benefits of living by the revelation of God's word. Number one, write this down if you would, please. Jesus gives real truth. Jesus gives real truth. Take a look at verses four and five. And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and, and shall deceive many. You know what he's saying? Jesus gives real truth, not religious deception. Man, there's a lot of guys out there and girls out there on TV that are charlatans. There's a lot of them that I believe that aren't even saved. They can't believe, if they, say, if they believe what they say, they're not true believers. But you know, we never have to worry about that with the word of God. So, pastor, who are they? Who are they? Let me know so that way I don't fall into the, the trap of following. No, 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 no. You don't need to know all the counterfeits. What you need to do is know the truth and you'll be able to spot a counterfeit. He says there's real truth. There's going to be counterfeit Christs that show up. Jesus warns. The, the disciples there, that there's going to be messiahs that are going to come in his name and, 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 and claim, or, uh, those who claim to be messiahs in his name. They, what are they? They are, they are ones who are going to try and lead others astray. That's what it means to deceive, to lead somebody astray. You're leading one away from what you know to be true into that which is false. It says there that there are antichrists, if you will. That word anti meaning against, against Christ. Or it could also mean instead of Christ. There have been and there will continue to be those who try and lead people away. But if you stick with the book, if you stick with what the word of God has to say, Jesus will give you real truth. Not only does he not give us religious deception, but he doesn't give us uh, 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 not a religious deity. And what I mean by that, 
that this is where I think many Christians are today. They follow a false Christ. They follow a false deity. You say, what do you mean if they're Christians? uh, What do you mean they follow a false Christ, the false deity? They follow a Christ that they've made up in their own mind. They've made up in their own image. We like, we like the Jesus that fits our image. We like the Jesus that fits in our life. We like the Jesus that fits in our box. Instead, it's not about Jesus fitting into us. It's about us fitting into what Jesus wants. See, you can either live by reason or you can live by revelation. And maybe the reason that Jesus is letting you down is because you're not living by the real Jesus. See, people love the idea of who they want Jesus to be more than they love the idea of who Jesus really is. Did you catch that? People love the idea of who they want Jesus to be more than who Jesus really is. Let me give you some of these instead of Christ that we may be following here. See, we're not living by revelation by faith we're living by reason here's the first jesus this is an original with me but it's called guru jesus this is the counterfeit jesus of the enlightenment the jesus who existed in human history but is not nearly as radical as that jesus of the gospels guru jesus is wise he's winsome Slightly supernatural figure who fits nicely alongside other religious titans like Buddha, Muhammad, Vishnu, and others. This is safe Jesus, who will only ever tell us good, affirming things, uplifting things, but doesn't bother to call us to the dangerous talk of the kingdom of God. Then, hey, How about this? Here's the other Jesus some people like to follow. It's the red letter Jesus. The counterfeit Jesus is vogue among many well-meaning and progressive evangelicals. He's a Jesus I'm tempted at times uh, to embrace. He's present in the kind of Christianity that only takes seriously those quotes of Jesus in the Gospels that are marked out by Bible publishers in red. What is convenient about this Jesus is that he replaces the so-called angry God of the Old Testament with a mostly peaceful, healing, non-controversial Jesus of justice. What's more is he's way more likable than that rascal apostle Paul who just doesn't understand 21st century social norms. We've got guru Jesus. We've got red letter Jesus. Are you following the Jesus that you've made up in your own mind, living by your own reason? Or are you living by the revelation of the word of God? Many false Christs, many messiahs will come and uh, deceive you. Oh, I understand this portion of scripture is talking about the tribulation period. I understand that. But there are Bible principles for us in the 21st century, my friend. Next Jesus is Braveheart Jesus. This counterfeit Jesus has come to help men recover their masculinity. The Jesus of Braveheart. You know, John Wayne and the Western type Jesus. The big game hunting Jesus. This Jesus is a response to a very real crisis in the culture. A crisis of manhood. But my friends, 
A Christ-shaped masculinity isn't defined by a hyper-masculine type, tough talk, cuss word, and MMA style of man. The Jesus of the scriptures is both tough and tender. A man who rebuked and nurtured. And he didn't come to conform men into modern, hyper-masculine men. But instead, he came to have the men fulfill their unique purpose as servant leaders in the home and in the community and in the kingdom of God. Oh, here, we're going to like this next Jesus. There's the American Jesus. We've got the American Jesus. This Jesus of patriotic national renewal. A counterfeit Jesus who ushers in a revival whose results turning the map from blue to red. This is a Jesus who have followed will return us to the perceived glory days of yesteryear. Mm, man, I've only gotten one or two amens here. I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes because I'm not aiming for your toes. I'm aiming for your heart. Let me just stop here. I am pro-America. I am thankful for every man and woman that sacrificed so that I have the freedom to be able to preach the word of God. And I will never disparage that. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If I have to pick one of two countries of where I'm going to put my allegiance, my allegiance is not with America. My allegiance is with that heavenly country that I've been called to. That's where my allegiance is. So when a president or a governor or a mayor or a congressman or a senator says, you can't preach this, it's, it's, it's hate speech, it's this, guess what? My allegiance is not with the United States of America, though I'm thankful for the blood that was shed by every person and for every person that's defending it today. I am thankful for it. I am pro-America. I want America to be number one, but let me tell you something. When they start treading on ground that they have no place to tread, my allegiance is not with America. My allegiance is with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells me that we've got a heavenly country. We're just passing through. My citizenship is not here. My citizenship is there. Sometimes... You know, let me tell you, let me, let me just park here just for a second. If your God that you worship lines up exactly with your political party, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. It's not even 4th of July. We get American Jesus. Then we got left-wing Jesus. This Jesus serves as a mascot for progressive social causes. This is a Jesus who is definitely anti-capitalist and has a little interest in personal salvation by faith. Like the right who appropriate Christ for political aims, the Jesus of the left hints at truth. 
Then there's Dr. Phil Jesus. This counterfeit Jesus is a tough-talking dispenser of advice. Evangelicals love this Jesus because he's the solution to all their problems. This Jesus comes closest to the real Christ of Scripture, who is the answer to our deepest needs, and yet he exchanges a pursuit of Christ. Listen, this Jesus exchanges a pursuit of Christ for a pursuit of principles. Jesus becomes less of an object of worship and more of a means to an end. He's a 12-step recovery program. Oh, I've got some more Jesuses here for you. There's prosperity Jesus. This, this counterfeit Jesus is Dr. Phil's Jesus' extravagant cousin. He just doesn't promise a better life. He promises wealth and prosperity. Prosperity Jesus is popular in the wealthy suburbs of the West where persecution and difficulty have been programmed out of the system. But he's strangely discomforting to the nitty gritty threadbare existence of most Christians around the world. Post-church Jesus is this type of Jesus, burned out this morning by the over-political, legalistic church of your youth. Post-church Jesus allows you to worship him without the trappings of the institutional church. In some ways, this Jesus is attractive for those who have grown tired of a gospel that sounds more like traditionalism than the gospel of Christ. But my friends, the real Jesus doesn't offer his followers the option of following him without being a part of the church. I, I'll state that again because there should be a bunch of amens after that. So we'll rehearse this. So, oh, we are live. Sorry. We'll rehearse this so the people at live will, will know. The real Jesus doesn't offer his followers the options of following him without being a part of the church. And all God's people said... The very act of regeneration by faith baptizes the believer into the body of Christ. Christ loves his bride and offers no fruitful path of faith outside of the community of faith. Offers no fruitful path of faith outside of the community of faith. Then there's BFF Jesus. This Jesus hits close to home for it's the Jesus of my evangelical culture. BFF Jesus... Hints at the truth of scripture, who's a friend of sinners, who's off, who offers personal salvation by faith. However, BFF Jesus of some of our modern worship songs sound less like a righteous ruler of revelation and more like Taylor Swift's ex-boyfriend. This Jesus is needy and clingy. What's more is this Jesus seems to have no connection to 2,000 years of church history and the weight of Christian orthodoxy. Instead, he's a light and fun Jesus. A personal private, a personal private, but detached from the coming king of righteousness and justice described by the Old Testament prophets. BFF Jesus is one who fits well within our culture of narcissism. He approves without reservation our lifestyles and behaviors and is safe for the whole family. 
He's Jesus of pop evangelicalism, which offers little preparation for difficulty in hard times and offers little anchor for the coming cultural storm. And then last but not least, legalist Jesus. Legalist Jesus is a Jesus who baptized my traditions and preferences as Bible. Legalist Jesus baptizes my traditions and preferences as Bible. Like the Pharisees, legalist Jesus mixes prohibitions on gray matters with the Bible. This Jesus, scorned by some, is attractive to others because he offers a simple list of rules to live by, allowing his followers to ignore the daily practice of repentance and forgiveness and the Spirit's sanctifying work and instead offers a checklist for Christians. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. And shall deceive many. You might say, I wouldn't follow an antichrist, someone who's against Christ. Yeah, but are you following somebody who's instead of Christ? We don't live by reason. We live by the word of God. We're to live by the truth of scripture. Not by what we want Jesus to say or what we want the Bible to say. We live by what the Bible says. This morning, Jesus gives real truth. And it gives us confidence in an unstable world. It gives us stability when everything else is shaking. Because all those Jesuses that I mentioned this morning, and though I know that was pretty lengthy, all those Jesuses that I mentioned will crumble. There's only one Jesus that you can put your complete faith and confidence in. So let me ask you this morning, are you living by reason or revelation? Have you created a Jesus in your own mind, in your own life that fits into your culture? Or are you living by the Jesus of the Bible? Are you following him? Because listen, if you're following the, the Jesus of the Bible, there are gonna be certain things in your life that are totally anti-cultural. There are gonna be things in your life that are totally politically incorrect. If you're living by the faith of God's word, if you're following God, we need to stop, and I've prayed this as well, that we would get Bible principles to be able to grow thereby. 
and, and my heart's right, but sometimes we substitute principles for a person. We're not to be going after principles. We're to be going after a person. And that person says, I am the way, the truth. That's what we're looking at, right? The truth and the life. Jesus gives real truth. He is truth. So instead of just um, um, looking at the Bible for principles that we can live out, we are to look at the Bible for a person to pursue and to pursue him by faith. What happens many times in our lives, we live by reason, is because we look internally for the answer. The answer is not found internally. The answer is found externally. We look to God when we are having difficulty, when we are having trouble, when our world is shattered, when nothing seems to be going right, when the life that I planned is not the life that I have. I don't look and say, oh, woe is me. What is wrong with me? There might be some things wrong with you, but that's not the answer. The answer is for us to look at the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and I trust him, I place my faith in him, I live by revelation, not by reason. Because every time I have lived by reason, every time, I just spiral. So how do you know it? I had to live this first point this morning. I had to live it this weekend. But especially yesterday and this morning early. There's some things going on internally. And all these things were flooding my mind. And I start to look internally and I said, no, no, no. But I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I don't care. I don't care what you're telling me is wrong. This is right. This is truth. But it doesn't seem like it. But it is right. It is truth. And can I tell you, after about 45 minutes to an hour of going over that and over and over, I went up into my office and I was praying. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to my heart and he showed me, I'm still good. I'm still on the throne. And I'm telling you, he relieved it. He relieved it. God won. You say, Pastor, you have struggles too? Last time I checked, I'm still a human being. See, what you need to understand, I either have to live with this message before I preach it, or I've got to live with this message after I preach it. To be honest with you, this is the real easy part. As a matter of fact, this is the fun part. I love doing this. I love it. I love sharing God's word. And it's easy to be confident here. It's easy to say, hey, man, bless God. You just got to do it. You know, all that kind of stuff. Rah, rah, yeah, let's do it. And then you wake up Monday morning and your whole world's crashing down. You're like, well, what happened to all that? It's called reality. It's called real Christian living. It's called living by faith that I'm going to live by the revelation of God's word. I am not going to live by reason because it leaves you with regret. But living by the revelation of God's word leaves you with rejoicing. 
What happens next? It all depends on how you're going to live. What are you going to choose?